Scripture themes, and uh, the theme this morning is the flood. So if you'd like to turn to Genesis chapter 6, verse 11. Let's pray. God will help us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the history of the world that you have chosen to record for us, particularly those early days through Moses. Father, these are for our instruction, and we ask you, Lord, that you will speak to us this morning. Lord, in our generation and for the days to come, we ask you in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, When we think of the flood in Genesis, I expect we naturally think of Noah and the ark. And it's such a a colourful story um, that the artists have gone to town in children's Bibles and children's books. And you might recognise something like that, whether you can see that. Um, Animals poking their heads out of a very small ark with uh, Mr Noah down here with his dove and so on. And um, also it it kind of gives us a fairy tale view of Noah and the ark, okay, and the flood. And uh, also the fact that people say, well, you you can't get all the animals into something like that and then keep them there for 10 months, feed them for 10 months. Well, that's, (laughs) that's unfortunate. And it does, it does tend to breed a little bit of disbelief. Um, Although this morning we're concentrating on the flood um, rather than the ark, it's important that we note as we read through that God gives Moses precise dimensions for the ark and it's absolutely huge, almost unbelievably big. Um, With with the various dimensions they give in ancient things and so on, it's reckoned it's about one and a quarter times the length of a full-size football pitch. Okay? That's quite big, isn't it? <laughs> That's quite big. And um, somebody has uh, constructed um, a half-size replica. Here's a giraffe, if you can see that. This is half-size. I think it was the Dutchman uh, who produced this. Half-size re- replica of the art. It was huge absolutely huge and um, another objection to the story is that there are many geologists who say yes there was a flood in that area but it was a local flood and there have been local floods around the world they've looked at the sedimentary rock which is rock that's formed through sediments that fall through water and are left after water's uh, receded. They've seen in there that yes, there have been floods, but they would contend that it's just a local flood. And yet there are geologists who are creationists who say, no, the evidence around the world shows there was a universal flood. And this is the problem that we have really. There is a myth which says those who believe in evolution, uh, their belief is based on science, And those who believe in creation, it's just based on faith. But that isn't true. There are many creation scientists. And you could get a creation scientist and an evolutionary scientist side by side looking at the same evidence, scientific evidence, 
and they will come to different conclusions because of their philosophy of life, because of their world view and because of their, their view of God. So it, it's important that we take on board that there was indeed a universal flood. And um, after we've read the passage, um, we'll deal with that. And uh, so if you'd like to turn to that, that passage, I'm reading from today's uh, the English Standard Version. It's a rather a long reading, but I think we need, uh, we need to read it all. So verse 11, chapter 6. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits. Its breadth, 50 cubits. And its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above. And set the door of the ark in its side. Make it with lower, second and third decks. For behold, I will bring floods of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife and your sons' wives with you. And of everything of all flesh, every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, of the birds according to their kinds, and of the animals according to their kinds, of every creeping thing of the ground according to its kind. Two of every sort shall come into you to keep them alive. Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded. Then the Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of all clean animals, the male and his mate, and a pair of animals that are not clean, a male and his mate, and seven pairs of birds of the heavens, also male and female, to keep their offspring alive on the face of all the earth. For in seven days I will send rain on the earth, forty days, forty nights, and every living thing that I have made I will blot out from the face of the ground. And Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. Noah was six hundred years old when the floods of waters came upon the earth, and Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him went into the ark to escape the waters of the flood. Of clean animals and of animals that are not clean and of birds and of everything that creeps on the ground, two and two, male and female, went into the ark with Noah. And God commanded Noah. And after seven days, the waters of the flood came upon the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, 
on the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth. I'm not commenting very much through this, but just note that the first thing that happens is water comes up before water goes down. The scientists believed that uh, there was water under the crust of the earth and these are the waters of the deep that came up. And the rain fell upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. Uh, And the very same day, Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham and Japheth and Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons with them entered the ark. They and every beast according to its kind and all the livestock according to their kinds and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth according to its kind and every bird according to its kind, every winged creature, they went into the ark with Noah, two and two of all flesh in which there was the breath of life. And those that entered, male and female, all flesh, went in as God had commanded him and the Lord shut him in. The flood continued 40 days on the earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark and it rose above the earth. The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth and the ark floated on the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep and all flesh died that moved on the earth, birds and livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth and all mankind, everything on the dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark And the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. What I want to do, first of all, is just to look at the biblical evidence for a global flood. And I was greatly helped by uh, a really excellent book. It's called The New Creationism by Paul Garner. And it's subtitled Building Scientific Theories on a Biblical Foundation. What that means is that taking the Bible and then looking at the, the uh, evidence, the geological evidence and other types of evidence, uh, one can see how that matches with the Bible and to, and to um, create a, a scientific theory on that basis. I really found that very helpful and in fact the headings I've got here are the ones that he uses. So... This flood, this global catastrophe, what's the Bible evidence for it? Well, first of all, it's the purpose. What is the purpose of it? It is to blot mankind out from the face of the earth because of man's great wickedness. The flood had to be universal. If God is going to destroy all flesh, the flood had to be universal. Only Noah and his family were those who survived. Then the depth and duration of the flood. The water covered the tops of the mountains by about 20 feet. And it lasted for 10 months. 10 months the waters remained. Then the need for the ark. And it makes no sense for God to instruct Noah uh, to build this ark, um, which probably took him 
centuries, not centuries, but decades to build, not centuries, decades to build. Uh, There's no point in him going to all that effort if in fact it was a local flood and all he needed to do was to move his family and livestock to higher ground. So the, the uh, ark tells us that it was a universal flood. The water was on the face of the whole earth. It talks about the whole earth. It says all the high hills under the whole heaven were covered. And then there's God's promise. You probably know that um, when the waters receded and Noah and his family and all the animals came out of the ark, God made a covenant, a, a promise to Noah that he would never again um, destroy the earth with water. And uh, he sealed that with the sign of the rainbow. That's why we see the rainbow. And um, if it was a local flood, then God has not kept his promise time and time again because there have been many local floods uh, around the world, many local floods. And uh, we even had some serious floods in this country. So if it's only about local floods, God has not kept his promise. Then there's the testimony of Christ and the apostles. Jesus and the apostle Peter and the writer to the Hebrews all refer to the flood and it is a flood of judgment on the earth. Uh, Steve mentioned last week that there are many nations that... um, Uh, that have stories in their history, in their ancient stories, of a flood, a a catastrophic flood that destroyed all life. Um, From Europe, Asia, Australasia and the Americas come stories of dramatic destruction. And um, I just want to show you something that isn't particularly about the flood, but it's more about the ark. You may recognise that as uh, a Chinese character, And it says it refers to a large ship. And it's made up of three elements. Remember, this is thousands of years old. Uh, This means vessel. This means eight. And this means either mouth or people. So you have a vessel, eight people. How many people in the ark? Eight. Eight people. And in actual fact, there are a number of Chinese characters that you can preach the gospel from. Um, it's absolutely amazing. So there's a, an indication. Large ship, vessel, eight people. Why should the Chinese have a sign for, the, for a vessel, for a ship, that that's refers to eight people? Just a little more evidence. Now let's look at Noah and why God chose him to survive the flood. Okay. Why, why Noah? Only Noah and his family. What I've done is I've just picked out from the passage that we read, I've just picked out um, the statements about Noah, about his character, about how he responded to God, and then just commenting on those briefly. So if I, when I refer to numbers, it's the chapters 6-6. Six, six. But Noah found favour in the eyes of the Lord. God needed to re-establish mankind on the earth. He's not going to make a second Adam. Um, Jesus is referred to as the last Adam. One day there will be a head of a new race. In fact, there is now a head of a new race and we're part of it. 
But in those days, God was not going to make a second Adam, but he chose a man to survive the flood who is flawed like us. Noah inherited uh, the, the sin of Adam, just as we all do, and he was flawed like us. But what we find is that he is a man who will trust God and be obedient. And it's an obedience that comes through faith. Noah believed what God said and and exercised faith. And God commended him for that. And we read in Hebrews 11.7, amongst the list of heroes of faith, but by faith, Noah being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for saving his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. And I want you to think about that. Whenever we hear the word righteousness or God commending Noah, it is a righteousness that comes by faith. It's not by his own efforts trying to be righteous. It's a righteousness that comes by faith. 6 verses 9 to 10. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God, and Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. So that's almost contradictory to what I've just said. What he said, God is saying, he's a righteous man. Can we sin and be considered righteous and blameless before God? What do you think? Can we sin and be righteous and blameless before God? Well, that's right. Noah was a man who knew God, and it says he walked with God. Noah walked with God and when we through faith in Jesus Christ come to know God and walk in the light of that relationship even though we sin we can be called and considered blameless by God John in his first letter he says this after having convinced his hearers that we all sin don't deceive yourself we all sin but he said if we confess our sin God is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we are cleansed from all unrighteousness, then in God's eyes we are righteous, we are blameless, because Jesus took the punishment uh, for our sin. 6.18 God said, I will establish my covenant with you and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your son's wives with you. God is, when God establishes a covenant, as he did with Noah, later with Abraham and Moses, it is his sovereign choice. It's a pure act of grace on God's part. None of the people that, that God made a covenant with deserve to have a covenant with the living God. None of them deserve that. And uh, we see that for us, that we are in the new covenant, sealed in the blood of Jesus. We're in that new agreement with God. And it's not through anything that we have done. We did not deserve it. We were saved entirely by grace, God's grace. And God chose to lavish his grace on us and make us his children and put us into Christ. That wonderful covenantal uh, arrangement. So it's sealed in the blood of Christ. Then 622. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. That's quite a short statement, but it it represents huge faith on the part of Noah. 
this massive boat, um, somebody has estimated, it, it took decades to build. Right? And during which time, there was no sign of water at all. No sign of the flood, nothing to encourage him to say, well, I better get on with this because the water's rising. Not at all. There was no um, environment agency flood warning, as we've all got used to over the winter. Nothing to encourage him in that. He lived among wicked, godless people. They must have ridiculed him while he was doing this. Why are you wasting your time building this monstrosity when you could be making a name for yourself uh, in the earth? And the Apostle Peter tells us that Noah was a herald of righteousness or a preacher of righteousness. If that's the case, he must have preached to somebody. And we can only assume that he preached to the people who were ridiculed him, who were passing by, who were ignoring the warnings that he was giving out. I, I would think he pleaded with his generation to turn from their ungodly ways and turn to God. Otherwise, uh, they would be um, killed by the flood. When we live faithful, obedient lives in our generation, not smugly, you know, not judgmentally, but humbly, and when we speak in love about the, the salvation that can come through Jesus Christ and to those that we speak to if they um, ignore the message if they refused to hear um, God's appeal to them then actually they bring condemnation upon themselves I'll read again that passage from Hebrews the last sentence goes like this by this and that is by um, Noah's faith by this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Chapter 7, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. What had God seen? Right? What had God seen? A man without sin? No, we've already determined that, that Noah uh, must have been a, a man who sinned, like we do. No, rather, a man whose faith in God had been tried over many years. He was faithful and obedient in construct, constructing the ark according to God's instructions and he resists all the jibes and taunts of his neighbours. He kept going. He persevered. And uh, I think we talk about you know, the patience of Job, um, but for perseverance, I think Noah takes the prize. You think over decades without uh, any sign that God's promise of destruction of the earth was, was seen at all. He persevered. And we're encouraged in the New Testament. It's a word we often find in the New Testament that we are to persevere in faith, we're to persevere uh, in prayer, and we are to persevere in good works, in doing good works. Because sometimes the going is hard. We find that. We have to persevere when the going is hard. And when God's promise is a long time coming. Um, if you want examples of that, you can see people like Abraham and so on. How God's promise was a long time coming. And Noah did all, that's verse 7-5, Noah did all that God commanded him. So it's 
Just to recap, it's very important that we remember that Noah was a flawed man just like us. But he's listed among the so-called heroes of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. All of whom were looking for something in the future that God had promised. Many of them suffered a great deal for the faith. uh, And yet they persevered because they were looking, as it says, for a city whose architect and builder was God. They were looking for something better and they were prepared to put up with persecution and all sorts of things because they trusted God for the better thing. Okay then, let's look at the lessons for us. We see this man Noah, um, a man like us, and yet a man full of faith, full of trusting God, and God declared him to be righteous because of that. And if you think about Abraham, Abraham was a heathen. He was an idolater when God spoke to him in Mesopotamia. And he told him to go to the land of Canaan. And God made promises to Abraham in his old age about having an heir, having a son. And Abraham had to believe God and wait and wait and wait for that son to come. And the New Testament said that, that through faith, uh, Abraham was declared righteous. It was through faith that Abraham was declared righteous. So, lessons for us. The Bible tells us that the Old Testament is not just a collection of stories to give us a bit of history uh, about the ancient world, but it's there for our instruction. We have the Old Testament not just as a a feed-in, as it were, to the New Testament, but these stories are there for our instruction and very often for our warning. Very often for our warning. And um, God warned Noah of his judgment of sinful mankind by flooding the whole earth. And Jesus warned um, of a similar day, that similar day is coming uh, in the future, when God's final judgment will end world history, not by flood, but by cataclysmic fire. This is what Jesus says in Luke 17. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So it will be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. There will be judgment on the earth when the Son of Man is revealed. So make no mistake, judgment day is coming. It is coming. It's very easy to assume there'll always be a tomorrow and that our loving creator God would never destroy his earth again, would not bring the human race to an end. But the message of Genesis 6 and 7 tells us if he needs to, he will. He will do that. We must not be lulled into a false sense of security because God has postponed this event for the sake of those who will still believe. For those who are yet to believe, 
God has postponed his judgment. We read in Peter chapter 2, sorry, 2 Peter chapter 3. And verse 3, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God and that by means of, of this the world that, that then existed was deluged with water and perished but by the same word the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire being kept unto the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly but do not overlook this fact Beloved, that with, one, with, with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that anyone should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as, the thief in the, as a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up, and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? According to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, we should not be caught unawares, should we? There are warnings there in the Bible. God has warned us, but most importantly, God has given us a way of escape. This is the most important thing. God has given us a way to be saved. Just as it was in the days of Noah, all those who entered the ark escape God's judgment. It was the only way. There was no other way to escape God's judgment. And now the invitation is to come to Jesus Christ, uh, to confess our sins, uh, to repent of our ungodly ways, and to invite Jesus uh, into our lives. Jesus into our lives. Jesus, well the ark is a kind of picture of Jesus. The people had to come into the ark and to be shielded uh, from God's wrath and we have to come into Christ and be the only way to be shielded uh, from God's wrath just as it was uh, God who shut the door of the ark you remember it was God who shut them in uh, so it is shielding Noah and his family from judgment it is God who places us into Christ and shuts the door he shuts the door uh, so that we can be um, spared uh, the judgment, shielding us from God's wrath and judgment. However, even though Noah and his family were given new life, given a new start, because they inherited Adam's sin, they had to die again. They had to say die, they had to die. And, um, but 
When we come to Christ and confess our sins and we come to Jesus, receive him as Lord and Saviour, then we die to our old life and God gives us a brand new life. And that brand new life goes on uh, into eternity. So, uh, and God unites us with Christ. We are hidden in Christ. We are secure in Christ. We are shut in with Jesus. So God's wrath uh, will pass us by. Paul writes to the church at Colossae, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Our lives are hidden with Christ in God. It is the safest place in the whole universe. Nothing can touch us, not even death can touch us when our lives are hidden with Christ in God. Just as God warned the ancient world through Noah that he was going to send his judgment on the earth and actually gave them some years to repent. If we think about how long it took Noah to build the ark and how much Noah must have been preaching to that generation, they had plenty of time to repent. And so God has warned us through his son that he will not allow the wickedness and injustice in the earth to continue uh, forever. Uh, But he will judge the world in righteousness by his son. Unless we are in Christ, clothed in his righteousness, we will be found wanting. The Bible says it's given to man once to die and then to face the judgment. It's inevitable It will happen. There will be a day of judgment. And we have to make provision now. We have to make sure we get in, as it were, get into the ark now and allow God to shut the door so that we are secure. On that day, there will be nowhere to hide, no one to rescue us. For as it is, we might say, we will have missed the boat. We will have missed the boat. And so, I know many of you are already in Christ you know you have a security you have an assurance that you're saved you know that you have eternal life and you've been shut in with Jesus shut in with Jesus but if you don't have that assurance this morning if you don't know that you have an assurance of eternal life that you can be absolutely sure that on that day you will be safe and secure because you have given your life to Jesus, then I would say, I implore you, do it today. Don't wait. Who knows if there'll be a tomorrow? Don't wait, but make sure that today you commit your life to Christ and allow God to shut you in with him, that wonderful place of security. Mm. Let's pray. I will pray a prayer inviting Jesus to come in to our lives. And if you know that you're in that place, 
if you know that you don't have an assurance of eternal life, if you know that from all that we've said, you could not face judgment and be secure, then here is a prayer for you. Heavenly Father, I know I have sinned against you. Lord, I have not loved you as I should. I have not loved my neighbour as I should. I have done many things of which I am ashamed. But Lord, I believe that when your son died on the cross, he took my sins upon him, that he died in my place. He took the punishment that was rightly mine. And in exchange, you gave me his righteousness if I will put my trust in him. I can be righteous before you through no merit of my own. It is entirely by your grace. And Lord, I can receive a new life as I come to you. And so, Lord, I do come to you. I confess my sin. Lord, I repent of those things I even now I know to be wrong. I turn aside from you. Then, and I invite you, Lord Jesus, to come into my life. Change my life. Make it new. Make it how you want it to be. So that I can live a life that brings pleasure and glory to you. And on that great day, I can be those who don't inherit awesome judgment, but I inherit the new heavens and the new earth with all those, the company of heaven, who are saved by your mighty grace. Lord, in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you. If you've prayed that prayer, please come and tell me afterwards. I'd love to pray with you. Thank you. Well, there's tea and coffee now. And, uh, and refreshments. Please go through the end.